welcoming back a figure who's become divisive in the Hand of Pod team in recent months. It's Hand of Pod. Sam Kelly, I'm, I'm here as, as usual with, with Australian Dan. Hello. And with English Dan. Hello. Who's right. eating an apple As I pointed the microphone out, I wasn't quite prepared for that. Um, we've got two other people with us this week, and one of them is the, the Carlos Tevez of the podcasting world, in, in that he's felt obliged to take the last what seems like six months off uh, recording with us in order to be with his family, as if you can think of a more ridiculous excuse. I think he's just been on the golf course, though. Looking at him, he's done a lot of, lot of hard yards around He's that, certainly been doing some exercise. He's lost about at least 20 kilos around that. <laughs> um, <laughs> please welcome back Sebastian Garcia. Necesito traductor. No, hablo inglés. I'm actually glad that the nonsense you spoke about me hasn't stopped. Um, you're actually continuing writing in my face. Of course it is, Sam. We'd never merely do that behind your back. We'd prefer to do it to your face as well. Um, and we're also welcoming back to Underpod for his second appearance, a man who this week is proving that he's prepared to appear on literally any football podcast in return for a plug for his uh, magazine. Uh, it's the Blizzard's Jonathan Wilson. Hello. Hello, Jonathan. Um, there's one result, really, that stands towering like the Colossus of Rhodes over the harbour of this weekend's uh, Apertura Clausura bloody hell got off to a fantastic start already it's um, on the one Liverpool now results it's <laughs> no actually it was Argentinos won San Martin won um, clearly the most influential yeah, result of the weekend very um, no on a more serious note the last time we recorded albeit not the last time uh, Hand of Pop went online Boca Juniors were unbeaten in 11 months and the useless bastards have now managed to lose twice in the space of five days since then. Uh, we're starting to record at half-time of their third uh, hopeful <coughs> loss of the last seven days uh, against Arsenal de Sarandi. They're currently at 1-1. Guys, first of all, after we recorded last week, uh, myself and an Australian down headed down to, to Gibraltar to watch that Fluminense game, and were, I almost made a bit of a scene of myself in a public place, I have to say, when, when Boca lost. Um, is it a George Michael moment? No, not quite. I, I just uh, <laughs> I just cheered rather too loudly and underestimated right. the number of people surrounding me who may or may not have been Boca fans. Um, didn't really cross my mind until after the exclamation left my mm. mouth. Um, but weren't those two fantastic games, guys? Seriously. Well, firstly, we should say the result of the the other game that we're talking about, which is of course uh, Independiente uh, five Boca. I was going to move on to that afterwards, but yes. Oh, well, two games were you talking about then? I was, I was talking about those two, but uh, yeah, I was I was going to move on to the Independiente game after we'd spoken about the Fluminense game. But yes, you're quite right, Independiente, 4-3 um, uh, down to Boca going into stoppage time and ended up beating them 5-4 with practically the last kick of the game. Uh, hat-trick from former River Plate striker Ernesto Farias, 
who therefore takes Denis Strakralusi's record of being the most recent man to score a hat-trick in La Bombonera. Yes. Um, Santiago Silva, of course, still waiting for his first goal for Boca, but we're not <laughs> going to mention that. Um, uh, well, it's just an incredible result because, uh, you know, as, as we know, Boca had that long run of games without, without losing, as you mentioned. They lost in the Copa Libertadores and now they lost in the, in the league. They hadn't conceded at all in the first four games of this season. Uh, Independiente had scored once in those same first four games. And suddenly they they conceded five goals against them. So. And yeah, they conceded as, well. as many. Yeah. Boca have now conceded as many in the last week as they conceded in the whole of the the Apertura. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, more. They conceded six during the Apertura. They conceded seven in the last eight. Because that's another already scored once um, in the last seven days, which is something else. It seems like Riquelme's and Schiavi's pressuring for to Falcioni to get him to play a more attacking style is really paying off, doesn't it? <laughs> well, well I was just going to make the point as well that. Independiente were coming off a dreadful run, run of form. It was uh, five games lost in a row. It just occurred to me because uh, yeah. I was talking with Sever just before, and he was saying, you know, in his objective, completely, <laughs> you know, Solomonic way that he uh, conducts business. That it's a shame they they couldn't have lost five in a row in the league. But of course, then it occurred to me that they lost one midweek in uh, Copa Argentina. They went down yeah. to Belgrano, so it was five. It's and it was yeah just an incredible turnaround. I got a it's perhaps worth point, worth pointing out to regular listeners who don't have quite long enough memories to remember that Seve is a racing fan. Um, <laughs> he's been away part for a while. So, yeah. I'm a part I wonder time. if they even remember Seve. Like. Yeah. It's <laughs> been a while. I've almost forgotten. Yeah, I think yeah. I think um, there was a point uh, or yeah a talking point uh, last week or after the game after Boca lost to Independiente about how. Um, this uh, perceived pressure that Riquelme and others are putting on Falcioni to change the style and I don't think that was really why uh, this we saw nine goals in, in a Boca game which is something nobody <laughs> nobody thought about um, I think it was all due to Independiente going ahead uh, after only 40 seconds and then doubling their lead before the 10 minute or 15 minute mark and that that was why really Boca went for it and that was what pushed Boca or made Boca push for an equalizer and then um, trying to score more because then Independiente when Boca uh, scored one Independiente went 3-1 up and that was like a mountain to climb and yeah. then Boca went for yeah. it and I tend to agree that's the tempo of the game and uh, I don't think Falcione has shown he doesn't he, you know, even if it gets him fired in the end, he doesn't. He's not uh, going to change his opinions no. because of the pressure of whoever yeah. the fans or the players, whatever. Yeah, exactly. So, so if you look at the, the goals he conceded, those weren't goals conceded because they were attacking. They were. I mean, certainly the first one was a terrible defensive error. The fifth one was a defensive error. The second one was a goalkeeper error. I mean, I, you know, I accept the third was probably Boca pushing on. But I mean, Boca had needed to push on for the fourth, which is nobody picking up at the back post. Mm. So I mean, these were individual mistakes. Yeah. Now, maybe it's one of those nights we'll, we'll find out. Yeah. But my, my concern would be: that is is morale in the team really that good? Is what's no. happened in the last mm. week or two? Has it undermined the, the sort of team spirit that it's taken them through till now? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I, I still think the timing of those goals, more than the nature of them, was really what had Boca attacking for most of the game. Yeah, well, if you want yeah, to in the first. Three minutes, basically, yeah, and then two yeah. in the last five minutes. Yeah, it's hard to defend. If, if you want to force your team to play in an attacking way, go two 0 down for ten minutes. So they were good way of doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you actually in a slightly sort of morale way that 
from the other side, John, you were in Brazil when, when the Fluminense uh, result came through. Well, indeed, when the match was played. Um, and, and in Brazil, at least, La Bombonera particularly is, is held to be some kind of fortress. Brazilian sides are terrified of, of going there and having to play the all-conquering, almighty Boca Juniors in their own uh, stadium. Um, did What was the reaction there when... when a, Brazilian. Well, I was, I was obviously, in, it's happened in the past, but it's rare. I was in Rio before the game, and they certainly, I think, were, were saying you know, a draw would be a very good result. They'd be quite happy with that. I was actually in São Paulo by the time the game was played, so I didn't really kind of get get any great insight what the Nancy fans were thinking. But I mean, I, I think there was surprise. I think it was a gen, you know, almost a sense that um, when you've been on a 36 game unbeaten run, you know, sometime it's going to end, and. Yeah, Fluminense defended well enough to, to, mm. to make themselves that team. I don't think anybody was kind of suggesting this is sort of a, the great crumbling of a, of a Boca edifice, or, or equally that this is sort of Fluminense, you know, stating their claim to be great challenges to win the Libertadores. No. I think it's you know, it, it, it's one game, and it, yeah, the, the nature of the game, Boca had most of the possession. They, I'm not saying they had hundreds of chances, but they certainly, I think, would would feel they controlled that game. Um, but conceded twice and only, you know, only converted one of their chances. Yeah. yeah, and I wonder as well, as kind of more general point of when teams have these long unbeaten runs and they eventually come to an end. It's almost as if it, it seems uh, at times almost inevitable that they're going to struggle in the next couple of matches. Then, it's happened I mean, I was, with, sorry, with Arsenal. I was, exactly, I was at Old Trafford when when United ended their uh, forty-nine game unbeaten run, and I remember the the match after that. I think they might have drawn it actually, but they came very lost, close to losing it. If, if they I, think, I think they lost. I'm thinking it was an FA Cup game or something. Uh, I, I could so, be right. I just said they lost. Um, you might be right. It might have been they played badly. But, but in the certainly they, they played like shit either way. Yeah. Um, well, look at the Inter this year in, exactly, in Italy. Yeah. They, they won I seven or eight in a row and then just suddenly lost seven or eight in a row. And so is this something with, you know, th- there's something in the cycle that you get so geared into winning or at least not losing for such a long time. And when it does happen, it's almost as if it takes you a while to. Yeah, I think that is true. I mean, you know, Alex Ferguson always says that what matters isn't losing, it's how you respond to a defeat. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you even think back to when Newcastle had that great run under Keegan in 93-4, when they won, I think, their first 10 or 11 games of the season, and then they lost to Grimsby, Chelsea and Leicester, successive games, because sometimes you should chant Grimsby, Chelsea, Leicester, this desperate <laughs> kind of thread of hope that we're taking to that season. Um, so I, I, you know, I think this does happen that when you've been on a run like that, when you start to inevitably the game after, you just start to question things you haven't questioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, you actually, you know, the, with Manchester City this season, I think I'm right in saying there's only four teams had as good a record as them for ten games of Premier League, either Premier League or First Division season, mm. and of those, only one went on to win the league. Almost if, if you start really well, when you come off the rails, it's very very hard to get back on. Mm. Um, sure. So, you know, possibly a little bit of adversity as you're going along is, is good for sort of building that that toughness you need to to come back from um, yeah. setbacks. And, and another thing that I wonder is uh, whether this changes the perception that other teams have of Boca and La Bombonera because these two must make a difference. Yeah, yeah you kind of lose this aura of invincibility. Teams, you know, they see mm-hmm. Fluminense beat them in the mid in midweek, not playing particularly spectacularly defending well and taking their chance so you must think even Independiente they think right we've gone a year thinking that no one can beat Boca like a draw is the best you can do 
and then suddenly kind of the, the facade shatters and yeah, yeah, I think that's a very good point. Yeah. And, and let's not let's not forget that Boca were winning four three with one minute to go in yeah. the regulation, and then yeah. the Benin score. It was a very freakish game. It and even then, game. even at four yeah. four, Santiago Silva missed an astonishing chance with did, thirty yeah. seconds to play, and then the ball goes up the other end, and Farias got the winner. Obviously, um, Sam feels absolutely no Schadenfreude in this whatsoever. No, no more so than that. Of course. Uh, and uh, I think somebody during the week compared Silva to Fernando Torres and we're nowhere near that kind of situation yet but it's, <laughs> no. it's, it's funny how he was at Vélez and just scoring for fun yeah. and then um, had a, a poor stint Nino Torres has beautiful hair. I don't know if you... There's no way to compare those two. I don't know if you saw the stat today but Torres actually... In the 86 minutes, today, hours, back yeah. of 24 hours at a goal for Chelsea. <laughs> and no. did you see yeah. his miss today as well? He basically missed an open goal with the, the goalkeeper out. So. Yeah, yeah. I don't think, no, Silver's nowhere near that level, but it's, you know, it's, it's interesting yeah. how it just, again, like we were talking about confidence, whatever. Um, yeah, I think it's the thing about being a striker, kind of, when, yeah. you, uh, when you're on form, you can't miss, and when you're off, you can't score. I mean, Malche's scoring, man. Match is scoring, yeah. And yeah. I, I don't want to make this about Racing, but Theo went 90 minutes without a red card. <laughs> Theo went 90 minutes <laughs> yeah. without a red card, yeah. so that's another kind of record. Complete turnaround in all respects. Um, <laughs> we've had one question which is kind of related to, to this. It, it's more focusing on Independiente, who we've not talked about an awful lot. We've, we've been talking a lot about Boca so far. Um, and, you know, there was a team out on the pitch who, who did enough to, to beat them and ending to score five goals against a defence who only considered six in 19 games in the second half of last year. So well done, Independiente. Um, regular listener Guerrero wants to know: Can Independiente turn their season around after beating Boca, or was that game just dumb luck? Well, I, I think the, the 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 most important thing for Independiente now was what happened around the manager because he, they had an, an interim manager, Christian Diaz, who used to play as a defender for them, and now uh, they went for Américo Gallego, who was there with them twice. Once he won the league. Well, he's not coming. So they I don't know. I, they went. They yeah. went. They, they went to try and convince him yeah. to 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 be back at Independiente. He said no, and they're they're now they will stay with Christian Diaz, mm. who is unproven. So I I, I don't but, know if they're these doing well so far. They've been well, not not just the Boca game, but they played a lot better under him in, in the previous week as well. Yeah, but they lost that one, and they were losing until the forty-fourth minute of the second half against Boca. I mean. Mm. I know, yeah, it was a fantastic win. Nothing, there's nothing to take away from Independiente. And they went with a couple of kids. They were playing the f- first few matches. I think one of them made his debut as, as well. And there's nothing to take away from him. And, and pro- probably what I heard is that some of the players wanted Christian Diaz to stay. They didn't want Gallego back. Mm. So, but, but the thing is, will this uh, epic win at La Bombonera go against them and come back to, to hound them because they don't have a proper manager like Gallego was. Uh, I don't know, it, it's tricky. Diaz could prove to be a fantastic manager, but up to these days... But then I think the more pressing problem, as I said, for Independiente is that not so much they've just had their fingers pretty badly burnt with Diaz because I think he was probably the highest paid manager in the league Especially Ramon Diaz. Ramon Diaz. Yeah, because yeah. this one is also yeah, Diaz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ramon Diaz. So I'm saying, um, yeah, definitely once uh, Semione left, he must be the, the highest paid coach in the Argentine league. And now um, that was a deal, we should say, that was done under Julio Comparada, mm-hmm. who was the ex um, Independiente president. And now I think the new administration came in under Canteros, 
and this kind of like a big belt tightening because they've realised that there's 120 million peso debt in Independiente. So I think even if they wanted a, a top name manager, um, someone along the same calibre as Ramon Diaz, it would have been tough. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they couldn't. I think he was on something like 1.2 million dollars a year or something ridiculous like that. Yeah, and yeah. they they just could they just can't pay that money to anyone. Oh, 120 million pesos is about 28 million dollars, which doesn't sound like very much probably to most of our, Amer- um, our, our foreign listeners in terms of football club debts. But in Argentina, it's it's that's a, a big deal. It's <laughs> a big deal. Yeah. Uh, for that reason, I can't see that resulting in anything other than a, a really good thing. Because I mean, even if it's a false dawn and you know it was a fluke result, at least that's going to give them a bit of confidence. Yeah. Uh, and they had to win. Like, they had to, to start winning at some point. Yeah, yeah. Um, as did Racing. As did Racing. Yeah. <laughs> Kind of playing well, um, scoring goals worthy of, don't we say, at Barcelona? Uh, yeah, 28 yeah. passes. Oh, come on, they were three yeah. magnificent goals. Yeah. 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 They, were, they were three fantastic goals. The third was, for me, the pick of the bunch because I love seeing passing football. I, I haven't really, I haven't kind of studied it. I'm, I'm sorry, I was born in Avellaneda in a Racing club supporting yeah, family. Of course. Why did you pick Racing if you like passing football? I had no choice. <laughs> but why did you pick Racing? I mean, I don't that, know. Oh, I don't know. you had you had yeah, other I options. I did have the choice, which yeah. is why I've been frustrated for two years. But then I fi- <laughs> it finally came. Yeah, yeah. And well. I haven't I haven't studied the the other the video closely enough to say for definite. But I've got a feeling that every all of the 11 players touched the ball in that move mm-hmm. at least 10 or 9 what I, what I know is that it was, it was 28 passes and yeah, 20, 20, 20, 26 28 no, I've 20 watched 20. it many times and counted and I cannot see where the 27 and 28 have come from it's 26 I was watching on unless TV you the, unless well, you count the tackle the and the shots <laughs> those passes which they're not <laughs> yeah, I think 28 I, touches we'll say 28 touches there we go alright anyway <laughs> it was a look yeah, yeah, it was. It was a, it was a brilliant goal, anyway, and it also yeah. capped a hat trick for Lucas Castro, yeah. who I think had scored one goal for Racing previously. And what is it, a season and a half he's been with you know, or, or just yeah, he goal. scored on his debut, mm. uh, the first week of the Apertura, yeah. uh, just gone, and and that was a game I I missed, I couldn't I couldn't see, and on Saturday I missed it as well, so. Yeah. All four goals he scored, I wasn't watching, so... We yeah, should say he also had... For your yeah. son to have his birthday party, so... I know, yeah. Really. No, but next time I'm watching Racing and he's on the ball, I'm going to look away and yeah. he's probably, he's probably yeah. going to score, I don't know. We should say, it's an interesting, it's an interesting case with Castro, actually, um, in Racing, because he was signed from Gimnasia after they went down to the V, mm-hmm. and had, yeah, as I said, he had a perfect start to his career there, but... I know that he's not been the most popular person among the fans and there's been a lot of uh, lot of criticism. I think one problem was that after he came in so well at the start of the Apertura, he had, he had a lot of niggling injuries. Maybe he played eight or nine games from the start in the Apertura. And the problem was, I think, in especially since the start of this season, the Clausura, he was playing a lot more in the middle under Basile. Yeah, yeah. And now uh, there was a bit of a change around in the scheme. Uh, Gio Moreno was injured and Taranzo was suspended, so Racing had to switch to a 4-3-3, a lot more attacking, kind of a lot more mobile yeah. tactic, and it really suited Castro because he had a lot more freedom to um, kind of get through and spill over on the wing. And bizarrely also suited possibly the most selfish man in the Argentine league, Terrible Diego. He's not, he's not, no, he's not selfish. No, he's not selfish. No, he's not he's selfish. an idiot, no. but he's not selfish. As a player, he likes yeah. to spread but the ball around. I'd have never, his I'd have never egotistical, but he's not selfish. him down as somebody who was going to set up three goals in the manner that he so set he up as well. Three, three assists in that though, game. Yeah. Really hard yeah. working, yeah. really good pass. Now, Pelletieri got one assist. Mm-hmm. No, I'm sure Gutierrez finished with three, didn't he? I think it was Pelletieri. 
Pelletieri said up the first with his Yeah, the first one was with Pelletieri as his and then the So, an interesting thing is that since all boys came back to Primera División, they couldn't score against Racing in four matches and they only got a point in a nil-nil draw, but Racing has all boys number. I hope we play 19 matches the season against all boys, just as much as River Play fans wish that they play Racing every week. So it's kind of... Yeah. Anyway, it brings us to a point that Dan and I were discussing after the game, and we thought we could ask Jonathan what we've got in here was uh, was the, the point about Gio Moreno being out. So who's who is Racing's best player? It's safe to say, and who's the, the most talented? Yeah, most talented, the, the playmaker, the enganche. Um and they've looked pretty pretty terrible with him for the first four games of the season. Um, yeah. Whereas in this game, when he was out injured, uh, as you said, they played the four three three, and they were a lot more you know mobile midfielders, more direct. Uh, Nice pass, passing movements. Uh, what Geo does is, is slow the slow the game down mm. a fair bit. Um, and I don't know. We're, we're going to ask Jonathan whether you, you can think of other cases where the, leaving the best player in the team out is actually beneficial. Uh, I think it can be because it, it forces everybody else to take responsibility. It's, it's mm. very easy for it's, players it's just to say, yeah. "Okay, I'll get it. I'll give it to him." Yeah. I mean, you've seen that with Cameroon, for instance, um, recently until Sam Leto got his ban. That their whole game plan is get the ball, give it to Eto. So if if you then mark Eto, double mark him, well, you know, he can't do anything. Uh, I think that's particularly true. Um, they were playing a four three one two before, were they? Yeah. Oh, but four. Yeah, four. Four four three one two. Yeah. Three one two. Yeah. But I think it's particularly true of that system because it's very hard to attack with that system without going through the one. Mm. I mean, that's what it's designed for. But the, you know, if you're playing a four three three or a four two three one against it, you just sit two men on the one. And what does he do? He, he, he yeah. And that's exactly what happened in the first four games. Kind of, uh, Gilles get pushed back further and further towards the centre circle, and then the two centre midfielders would just be on him straight away. They knew the ball was coming for him. That, that was and what happened. Nothing under, was happening under yeah. Simeone as well. I mean, under he Simeone was as well. Once again, Gilles was playing like yeah. seventy yards from because he was in the middle there of a four-two-three-one mainly, but yeah. it was the same story. Yeah, and well, yeah, it, it happened with that as well. Yeah. Uh, the, I mean, it's exactly the same thing. Yeah. At least with the four-two-three-one, you do have the two wide yeah. options. But the guy in the middle that's, has to be mobile. That's the thing. Yeah, and Gio is not. Which brings us back back to Boca because in the last few games of the Apertura, they were Riquelme was injured and they were saying they were playing better without him. Yeah. 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 With with uh, who was uh, who uh, who was playing like Chavez, Moche, But I think that's why you just don't see that system very much. I, mean, it, I know it's it's sort of a traditional system here. Uh, even Italy, where I think yeah the maybe two thirds or three quarters of teams played with four three one two last season there's been this big swing to, to three at the back um, and I think it's because people have realised it keeps you very narrow in midfield so you have to funnel everything through the one creator and, and that makes it very hard to stop and particularly if you play a team you know, talking about the Italian example where people like Napoli and Udinese play with wing backs well something they do have with going forward but still have bodies in the middle that you can't overman them there I think that's why I mean, there's one weekend end of January beginning of February where 13 of the 20 sides in Italy played with three at the back yeah. which I mean it's like Germany in the 80s it's um, a you know, very odd herd mentality to follow the same model but it's come as a reaction to the herd mentality of last season and I don't have the, the, the figures and the facts uh, in my head now but I am under the impression that 
the goal average in Serie A has gone really up. And yeah, definitely. Because I, I, I can I see some some matches go four four all and mm. or three three two mm. or whatever. But I can see that it's not the nil nil of the nineties and eighties yeah. or uh, what Serie A became famous for for tactical. How you, how you call it? Tactical. Um, yeah, so tactical yeah. battles, tactical struggles. Yeah, exactly. And and tough defenses and teams that are really hard to break down. Mm. Is it because of the of their going to uh, switch well, into it? I think it's three? been a gradual process, probably over the last twenty years. I mean, I think football generally has become less defensive, partly because we changed mm. the back pass law, partly because of the outlawing of attacking from behind. Weirdly, I think South America, Brazil, possibly accepted, has gone the other way. But I think the reason for that. Is, is it's exactly the same reason that international football has become more defensive, which is that there's such a such a throughput of players hmm. in you know, the Argentinian league and other South American leagues because basically as soon as you're good you get shipped on to either Brazil or Mexico or Europe. Hmm. Um, it then becomes very hard to develop the, the continuity, the mutual understanding you need to to uh, you know, attack as a system. Mm-hmm. Um, and and therefore you, you play defensive football because it's it's easier, it's safe. Yeah. Uh, international football, you have the same thing. The coaches don't have the players for long enough um, to to develop that mutual understanding. So, I, mean, I don't know if you read the the Secret Footballer column in the Guardian, um, yeah, which is it's a Premier League player. We don't know who he is, but it allows because we don't know who he is. Ah, it, yeah, no, he, he's, you he's, don't know who he is either. I genuinely, I mean, I have suspicions. But I genuinely don't know, and I'm certainly not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a great hand of bullets, please. He's not Terrace, is he? <laughs> I, I can neither confirm nor deny. We're just stylistic names. <laughs> like lynches. Um, we'll say names when we get to the right one. Just wink. <laughs> um, but he, he was he was saying that um, something he thinks that your know, fans and, and pundits on TV don't really appreciate is how much work is done on on, on attacking moves, just on on practicing mm. over and over and over and over again. Yeah, the, the same shape of passing, so that everybody. Everybody knows instinctively where the next link in the chain is. Whereas if you get the ball and you have to look up, it just takes you, you know, mm-hmm. quarter of a second, half a second longer mm-hmm. to play the pass. Now the next pass takes quarter of a second, half a second longer, and so the defence can can regain their structure, can close you down quicker, and so the football becomes much much mm-hmm. more defensive, much more negative. Yeah, I, I also think another factor, uh, another factor here, at, at least in Argentina, for for that. Um, Blossoming of the defending game is the promedios. Is the, the the fact that you start the apertura and you know you're gonna have to get like 50, 60 points to be safe at the end of the clausura. And managers and players are afraid of uh, going forward and, and and take the situation. Um, but to that, horns, you know, in, and, and in that respect, would that not be the same even if we had a normal relegation system? Is uh, they, they still know that they can't really afford to be losing games. And, yeah, I and, know that. And when I you know that. Team but, were really if, screwed on the Premier League. Like, but if you scratch, the only choice yeah. Tigre had throughout yeah. the season. I think it's probably more to do with the, the, the short, short tournaments more to blame. Well, yeah, and the short term, like the, the tendency to fire managers yeah. after three bad results, kind of thing. Yeah. So, if you're going to be fired after three defeats, you're going to go for three draws. You know, you know your team's limited. Mm. Yeah, which is which is why I I really admire what uh, Arroyo is doing with yeah. Tigre because they're playing they're probably the best. But in the end, but the the best playing. They're, they're playing fantastic, team. but 
like really he had nothing to lose, did he? Yeah. I mean, he has to basically win games. It doesn't. I mean, you'd... yeah. But sometimes they they take mm. a different approach. Even even if they have nothing yeah. to lose, they say, okay, one point is vital here because uh, I don't know our rivals are not going to get three. If, if we get one point here, I mean, we saw that to a lesser extent, and not in such a desperate situation. At least at the start in uh, River, in yeah. Class yeah. Where, I mean, a lot of times they were playing for a, either a one 0 victory or a nil nil, and it was very kind of little pushing to. to I guess in Tigres' case, there's so much less expectation yeah. and so much less pressure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes, especially with smaller teams, I think it just helps to do what people don't expect you to do. Mm-hmm. I think mean, Swansea are benefiting from that in England this season. That nobody really expected. I mean, we'd seen them last season. I mean, can't do that in the Premier League. Well, it turns out they can. Yeah. Uh, and I guess for, you know, for fatigue, it's the same thing. Of yeah. um, everybody expects us to be dogged and resilient. Nobody expects us to go out and attack. Mm. So let's do that. And at least for half a dozen eight games, it's going to take time for people to work them out. And I guess yeah. we saw, a diff- especially in the Apertura to a lesser extent this year um, with Belgrano, mm-hmm. came out and mm-hmm. played some excellent football. Of course, they had well. two wonderful players in uh, Vasquez and Pareda. Vasquez obviously left and they've suffered a little bit since then, but still, Belgrano kept with some brilliant, especially kind of brilliant counter-attacking football at least, and yeah. they hit yeah. you very hard on the break. I can see in remembering back to their win in Nen Cilindro during the upper <laughs> tournament, which well, was a classic case of... Uh, yeah, that was the classic. Yeah. Uh, three 3-2 yeah. to Belgrano? 3-2, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, the only brilliant team game. that scored three on Racing who had a really good defence, under yeah. Simeone. Not that night. <laughs> no, moreover, a really good goalkeeper as well, but not, yeah. not that night. <laughs> Would you guys like a coffee? All right, yeah. Love yeah, it. yeah we'll, um, we'll go away for one minute whilst, whilst Australian down the uh, the waiter brings us our uh, hot caffeine beverages, and we'll be back in a second, so don't go away. <laughs> Break and Jonathan Wilson has a few kind words to say about. He's in the middle of a rant about the calendar. If, let's cut in. If, if, if your name is, is Rupert Fry, you may want to stop listening at this point. I'm playing with Fry on May the 6th. I bet it's exactly the same. <laughs> I'm looking forward to bollocking in that game. Um, no, I, I just, I, I, for a long time, I, I saw Riquelme as a sort of beautiful anachronism, a, a kind of an example of a footballer 15 or 20 years ago that somehow had, had still stayed around in the modern game. And it was interesting to watch from that point of view. The first first game I saw in Argentina was Bocchi Cruzero and Libertadores when he's absolutely brilliant, totally controlled that game. And that, to be honest, was the first time I'd really seen McElmey and understood what he was about. And so oh, I sort of had a conversion. Sorry to butt in, that would have been the 2007 final, right? No, no, it wasn't no, the final. It was last 16. Oh, sorry, Karen. Yeah. Yeah. Last 16 game, I think, in 2007. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Um, and that, that, you know, I'd, I'd sort of always been very suspicious of Riquelme, having seen him in, in playing for, for Barcelona. And you know, he did brilliant things at VAR, but I thought he was a, you know, a small team player. Um, and then I saw him in that game, I suddenly got what he was about. I kind of understood what he did and why he was so revered. So, yeah, I saw him as this glorious mechanism. But I think to, to undermine your coach when your coach is being as successful as he is being, when you're the age he is... Um, yeah, there's something quite insidious about that. You sort of start to see Palermo's point. 
um, the, what, what right has Riquelme, apart from his immense popularity and immense talent, what, what right does he have to start undermining Falcioni's work, which yeah. has taken a team which was in danger of relegation mm-hmm. to on a 36-game unbeaten run? Now, I don't know. I, I th- if Boca fans are really saying we'd rather play beautiful football than win, well, I guess that's their right, but it, it's a... Uh, it's an odd decision, I think. It's, it's also particularly strange given that, and again, I know I'm a River fan in saying this, but Boca have never really had much of a reputation for being the team who played. Yeah, no, I mean, Bianchi was their greatest ever manager. Bianchi's yeah. a, um, you know, a, a Spinetto yeah. disciple. Yeah. And, and, and as a River fan, I would have loved it if Riquelme had got what he wanted and managed to get Falcioni sacked. That would have been, I'd, I'd have been <laughs> laughing my bollocks off with that. No, but and, t- uh, talking about that, exactly that, uh, I, I wanted to say, I, th- I think I said this uh, in a really old episode of Anopot, but uh, I think Riquelme almost single-handedly managed to change the, 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 the perception Boca fans have uh, of football in in this sense. I mean, he's not the kind of player who will go for the sliding tackle. He won't, he won't track back. He he looks like he's sulking sometimes. He, and sometimes. He, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and sometimes he is. Uh, and and when, he, when he started... He's, he started um, making Boca fans turn around that corner and, and some of them are really appre- appreci- appreciative of his kind of game and, and he managed to, to, to change that perception of football that Boca fans have and, and I think he's, uh, he has a great merit in, in achieving that because he was under a lot of pressure early on and he was continually, continuously being the best player and he was taking Boca to places I mean he, he was being successful at the same time so um, and now nowadays he still he still divides I think he was offside we, we're seeing a replay in Arsenal Boca and I think I think like, someone was offside he if not it's still an unforgivable <laughs> mess yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly anyway so um do you think Riquelme actually hates Falcioni because Falcioni is the only man in the world who looks more consistently miserable than he does? <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was there, there was a point in, in the Bucky Independiente game on, on Sunday when uh, Riquelme had a free kick which went inches wide of the near post and hit the sort of miniature little advertising hoarding that, that Boca have up right next to the back of the, the goal net and rolled along that which made it look as if it was rolling around the back of the the goal and they, they immediately the commentator shot a starting goal because um, he had the same angle that we were looking at it from the TV and they immediately zoomed in on Riquelme's face and he looked miserable as anything and it didn't give away the fact that he hadn't <laughs> scored you, you just thought no yeah. he's scored but he's not you know, celebrating it for some reason it was. Only, it took about a minute to realise. No, that definitely actually didn't go in. It was. Um, well, it took me five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> if, it t- if it took you one minute, I was exaggerating. No, no, no. no, well, okay. no. <laughs> it's not because I, I had the same impression. It, yeah, yeah I, I thought. I thought it was a goal, and, and the whole stadium was celebrating. And and, and this commentator went like for two minutes shouting, <laughs> "Goal!" And we we could see Riquelme was in pain. Like, well, you'd see. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the referee sort of went, went as he was showing that shot of Riquelme looking glum. Uh, you saw the referee sort of go across a corner of a shot with his arm up. So you knew that yeah. he'd either given a free, you know, a, a free kick or an offside, or was pointing for a corner. Mm. So you know that that was what sort of gave it away for me. But yeah. then the camera stayed tight on Riquelme. It still took ages to work out what had happened. Yeah. <laughs> He'd be a great poker player, definitely. <laughs> and so then they showed Falcioni and he had the southpaw's face as well. So <laughs> still didn't reveal anything. 
So to, to it's it's probably a good thing that Falciani never smiles though, because there was a picture of him when Boca were in London playing Arsenal um, last. Well, Argentine winter, British summer. Uh, there was a picture of Falciani smiling, and it was the most terrifying thing I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. No, just to finish my point, I, I sorry, Regelme still divides the opinion, and you will find as many Boca fans who like him, and as many Boca fans who would like to see the back of him, and. But but they're they're not very vocal because Riquelme managed to shut them down and to keep them quiet by winning virtually everything he played for Boca. Mm. I, I think in, in I, I don't think it's, it's even an argument that Riquelme was much more important than Diego Maradona was for the club yeah. mm-hmm. because Bo- because Maradona left earlier and because Riquelme won a lot more than Diego for, yeah. for yeah. Boca. I, mean, I came across the same phenomenon actually I think a couple of years ago for. Uh, for a classical between Boca and River, I had to prepare for Goal.com a best ever 11 for both sides. And I consulted um, Adiel, who's been on this program before. He works with me in Goal for the Latin edition, and he's also a Boca fan. And we were talking about this kind of mythical number 10 position. And I think, even before I said anything, the first thing he said to me out of the whole article was that, look, you have to pick Rekeme there ahead of Maradona. There's no way, because for Boca, Rekeme is, you know, Ten times the star that Maradona. Was. I think it was even when they did a fan vote, right? He was voted as their greatest yeah, yeah. number ten, yeah, yeah. or even yeah. their greatest there's, player. There's my question in Boca. Diego's been just a couple of years at Boca. That's yeah. probably another reason. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're be... not quite saying Riquelme is the sort of the John Terry figure of Boca. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no, no. Undermining everything from the inside, but <laughs> I, I do find it odd to, to take on a coach who's been so successful. Perhaps more of a Frank Lampard. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to shoot somebody before he can be Ashley Cole. Um, there were other results this, this past weekend. Boca Independiente um, was, uh, and Racing uh, All Boys were not the only matches that were played in Argentina. Um, we had, well, we, we had, uh, we've already hinted, in fact, at the very, very start of the show, uh, Argentinos versus San Martín, who drew 1 1 in a very unremarkable match, <laughs> which we won't be talking anymore about. But there was a player going to, to, going to play on goal. For Argentinos after the... Oh, you're right. Yeah, they had to send uh, J.J. Right Morales, the striker. And San Martín didn't manage to get a shot on goal in the last uh, 19 uh, minutes. Yeah. They, they didn't this actually fits in what, was, you know, what we're talking about, the, when, when the best player isn't there, everybody takes responsibility. I think you regularly see this. When you have a non-regular goalkeeper who goes in goal, the rest of the team is so obsessed by don't let the ball get in the box, don't let, don't let this guy make a mistake. I mean, I hate to bring everything back to I don't hate to do it, but... I, 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 I try to avoid yeah. bringing anything back to Sunderland, but Niall Quinn went in goal at Bradford for, I mean, a long time, and Bradford didn't have a shot because Sunderland was so determined to, I to, remember to, that game. Just to stop them having shots, stop yeah. them putting the ball yeah. in the box. I, so. I think the, the, the bringing it back to <coughs> Argentine football and Racing in particular, <laughs> it's like a contest now. <laughs> no, in 2002, Sorry, in 2002, Racing went to the Monumental to play River. Racing was the, the reigning champion. And this was at the Monumental, and it was a draw. I don't remember if it was nil nil or one all. And then River keeper got sent off, and they put the Michelis on goal. And, and Racing <laughs> had a free kick. It was a perfect free kick, just to place it yeah. over the wall, and that's it. Two one, one, and that's it, or one or one nil. And it was the forty, uh, the the eighty ninth minute or something like that. It was just near, really near the end of the game. And so, what did Racing do? They were playing River, remember? So there's no way they're going to win it. You know the end of the story, but just you're going to have to put it on 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 on, on your website, yeah, on, 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 on the website uh, as a reference. But 
Racing took like you know when they took like two or three touches uh, mm-hmm. because it was it was an uh, in the indirect free kick. Anyway, the ball ends up hitting the wall. Counter attack and Pipino Cuevas <laughs> score for it. <laughs> it was just typical Racing. That's, that's just Racing in a nutshell. You have to look at that. It's just a classic, yeah. and I still I still get furious when I remember that. Yeah. I think one one more thing we can say about the uh, Argentina San Martín game is that after Diego Sosa's you know <laughs> historic, fantastic on goal the week before, San Martín once more gave a big hand to their, yeah. their opponents, getting another own goal. They managed to score one at the correct end as well, but it was was something else. Um, Colón beat Newells, sorry, Colón lost to Newells at home Mm -hmm. 3-0. Rafaela have lost their manager. Carlos Truchet resigned. Uh, They lost 2-0 at home to Union. And they're bringing in uh, this Uruguayan guy, aren't they? Now, what's his name? No, Rafaela is. They're bringing Ruben Forestero, who used to play for them. Oh, yeah, right. He used to play for Banfield and, and but, Rafaela. So, which club's just brought in the Uruguayan? Banfield. Banfield, oh, Banfield have just brought in the Uruguayan to replace another Uruguayan. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> Banfield also lost 2 0 to Tigre, who are now the, the sole leaders of the Clausura. And um, because. Two late goals. Yeah. Two. Um, he, was, he was going to be an in but. Yeah. And, and by virtue of San Lorenzo beating Belgrano and Union beating Rafaela, Tigre are still in the automatic promotion, uh, relegation spots mm-hmm. as well. Despite Although that, you would think, isn't going to last too much longer if Tigre keep playing the way they will, um, because they're now very, very close to Rafaela and to San Lorenzo and <laughs> all the boys in Union. Um, they're still very much giving themselves a chance of, of staying up. Um, there was also wins for Vélez and Estudiantes, who, yep. after especially Estudiantes, they had a, a pretty terrible, terrible 2011. But I had to think of them about nine games. Yeah. And yeah, they started really well this year, and they're looking a lot, lot more fluid. And they Vélez lost twelve. Copa yeah. But they lost in oh, Copa yeah, Sorry, I was talking about the league. But yeah, yeah you're right. Um, we actually we had a question on, on Twitter earlier today I don't know whether it was intended for Handel no it wasn't yeah, intended for Handel was. was yeah. who was it from I can't remember uh, Soy Bostero I think it was the, the nickname which was Soy Bostero yes. Soy Bostero which gives away the fact that he's yeah. not a yeah. fan and he said why uh, are Estudiantes playing Guild again or why are they back it, 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 I don't like it, he said. Funny enough, I had exactly the same thoughts about Boca. <laughs> yeah. Coincidence of coincidence. Um, yeah, this new so manager. Why are the artists playing well again? Well, this new manager seems to be doing the right things. And, I think uh, we mentioned this last week. Yeah. Yeah, as Consabe. Yeah, they were terrible under Russo, and now mm. they're gain, gaining some stability. And, and as Dan mentioned in the preview of the, of the Clausura, they're playing like with 10 or 11 mm. players that won the Copa Libertadores a few mm. years back. Plus Peron playing fairly consistently. Yeah. consistently. Yeah. I think Which he might be out yeah. this weekend. Uh, so I think yeah, he, he was out for two games. The key for Estudiantes. The key for Estudiantes is having Peron fit in form and they're a different team. But something that's made a difference now is that they're also, although I, I completely agree that Peron makes an enormous difference to, to how nice they are to watch and to how much they dominate games, they seem to have found a way of getting results even when he's not in the team, mm-hmm. which they just didn't have a clue about last year. Yeah, they, yeah. they rely completely on him playing every match yeah. when any idiot could tell it wasn't realistic to expect that. Yeah. The, the addition of Mariano Andujar, who's back from Catania, yeah. is also key for them. Boselli is such a great keeper. scoring bits again. Which yeah. And also the emergence of... Uh, Sarulita, this defender, mm. we should really mm. ha- ha- uh, 
start paying attention and I'm, I'm sure Sabella knows him and so I'm sure Sabella is waiting yeah. just for a couple yeah. of more games before he calls him right. to, to the national team because <laughs> he plays for Estudiantes. Exactly. Exactly. It's a matter exactly. of time. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so we've highlighted how uh, Estudiantes have gone up again from 2011. We can say that Lanús, at least in the league, we, uh, me, Dan, Sam and John were, went to Lanús to see them win in the Copa Libertadores yesterday against Demelec. But in the league, they're going from bad to worse. Hmm. Yeah, they they found it difficult to adapt to the the midweek um, schedule with with the Libertadores as well. I hope that last night's display because I like them. Um, I hope that last night was was a sign of somewhat returning to form. Because although they only won one nil, they really dominated the match. So, was, so as long as two point one to beat Argentinos on Friday, which I mean, I, yeah, I've only seen them last night, but they. They looked. I was, I was impressed by them last night. I, was, I think to the Argentinos at home. Is there any betting preview that we can read about this this match, John, for the weekend? Uh, if you look at betting.betfair.com tomorrow, I think you'll find find there will be. Yes. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> uh, uh, lot, what lots was the score for Lanús on week on this weekend? This weekend past, they lost one yeah. 0 to Estudiantes. Ah, yeah, right. um, yeah. And yeah, just last night they they beat Emelec one uh, 0 with a late goal, with a very deserved goal from Mariano Palo. Yeah, I mean, they hit the woodwork twice. So I mean, yeah. Hmm. I, I mean, actually, having said that, Emily could have equalised in the last minute, but that would have been deeply unfair. Yeah. yeah. But then the question is, of course, um, you mentioned they're playing on Friday against Argentinos. So all those players who played midweek, uh, pretty pretty hard 90-minute game, no matter who the opponents, you know, takes his toll. They're going to have to bounce back, and in three days they have to play another 90 minutes. Exactly. Yeah. Some teams, it's always, <laughs> which is tough. which is where the squad becomes an issue because yeah. they're trying to rotate as much as they can, but even then they're still going to have to have at least a couple of the midfielders. You'd think Pavone is going to have to start again. Um, Camaronesi, Camaronesi might have a rest maybe possibly yeah. be rested and taken off the bench if they need him later on or something. But well, they gave him what 15 minutes off, 20 minutes off. <clears throat> yeah. So I mean, maybe. You can get half out of them, which I guess whether you want the first half or the second half. As we've said before, I think the midfield is not—they do have some depth in, yeah. in midfield. That's not a problem. But yes, it, they should be alright. I mean, but yeah, as you said, they are—they are having trouble when they do have to travel or whatever for Copa Libertadores. Yeah. Are there results that we were... Uh, Belas beat Olimpo 1 0 on Monday night. Um, I have to confess to not having watched that. I can't remember why I was doing something. Um, yeah, like it, was, uh, it was a. Uh, you know one of those goals when this guy tries to send the cross in and mm-hmm. it goes in? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I were dominant and they deserved to win, but the goal, the, the goal they got it was kind of uh, not really <laughs> meant to, yeah. to, to be. Uh, Godard Cruz, who after we recorded, and I think whilst uh, at pretty much the point that last week's episode went online, I think it went online at half yeah. time, of Godoy Cruz's Copa Libertadores game against Atletico Nacional um, which Atletico Nacional went into having not conceded a goal in the Libertadores during their first two matches having demolished both the teams they played um, Godoy Cruz drew 4-4 with an 89th minute equaliser and a hat-trick goal from Leandro, Leandro Caruso um, brilliant game and then they lost on was it? It was Sunday, wasn't it? Yeah. To Arsenal, one 0 at home. Probably not so surprised after having to go, having gone through that and midweek. No, exactly. I don't, I don't understand that like Nacional at all. I mean, they they've signed eighteen players in the last six months. It's the Colombian Colombian teams. Yeah, they change their squad, but they, they, and they look, they look brilliant against yeah. Dinamo like Chile and yeah. uh, Peñarol. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm. 
Um, but I think they, I don't think they've won in four in the Colombian league, and then you're suddenly letting in four against Godoy Cruz. I, I don't really, I, I don't get what's going on. I don't see any pattern there. I mean, I was really impressed with them those first two games, and I thought, you know, they could be the University of Chile of this year. And I then, think in the yeah. National League, more than anything, it's a case that I've been keeping an eye on the results for for what I do with goal and a lot of times at weekends they've been playing reserve teams right, okay. which is probably why they brought 18 players so they could have mm-hmm. almost two teams they're really going for the Libertadores I have a question for Sam how do you feel about Leandro Caruso <laughs> Farias Mariano Pavone all scoring and they, they, they all play for River Plate and they didn't have much success I'm, I'm comfortable with it um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I said to Dan actually after Pavone scored just last night uh, the winner for Lanús I was, I was applauding him as he came off the pitch and Dan came down English Dan came down to me and said what a fantastic player right, so. and I, I said to him it, it, it wasn't Mariano Pavone's fault that River went down I mean I, I, was, I, I said several times during last season on, on Hand of Pod um, that he could have been scoring more goals but there was nobody who worked harder for the team than he did. Um, if everybody in Riverside had put in as much effort as him and Almeida did throughout right. the season. And all this while being an underwear model. Yes, <laughs> yeah, and possibly the least yeah. attractive underwear model you'll ever see, <laughs> ladies. Plus, so, but let's be honest, um, us as racing fans, we can't really like to exactly. no, considering no. Uh, all of the players that have passed no. through racing. It was an honest question. question. It was oh, a really good question. Yeah. I, I wasn't, fact, I wasn't making thing. fun of it. Yeah. No. It's a <laughs> question. They got dressed again now. So. Yeah. And, and I was also <laughs> interested to... This phenomenon in oh, yeah. another another striker who we saw last night for the away side, Emelec uh, Luciano Figueroa. We were trying to remember who, during the game who he played for. Uh, he did play for Central. He also played for both River and Boca. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in general, in for, for a season each, and yeah, for a, like three Italian yeah. sides, a couple of Mexican sides. Um, so and for yeah, Argentina was, as well. Yes, he was, he was great under Pokemon and he's got one of the best uh, ratio goal, mm-hmm. goal per appearances ratio. Mm-hmm. In, as a striker for Argentina. So. Yeah. So um, won the Olympic gold in Athens, I think. Yes, that's right. I don't know, we were talking before about how he received just an immense amount of abuse from the home crowd just because he was the only player they knew. I spent most of the match trying to remember whether he played for Banfield. Which no, it was, but, uh, it was pretty vicious uh, abuse at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was quite something. Um, what other results uh, uh, are really... Yeah. No. San Lorenzo winning? Have you no. mentioned that? San Lorenzo was an uh, impressive performance, yeah. actually. They, they yeah. fell behind and, and came back to beat Belgrano. Uh, this was the day before Tigre's uh, result, but effectively San Lorenzo knew that they had to to at least draw, if not win, in order to, to prevent Tigre from getting that bit closer to them in the Promedio table. Plus, we should um, probably mention with San Lorenzo, it was a massive week for them in other reasons, because mm, yeah, I believe yeah. Thursday, two days before they played, um, they had a match, which the numbers vary depending on who they who you talk to. One and a half million, I heard. One and a <laughs> half million, yeah. <laughs> up, we'll say, to be safe, up to 100,000 people. Yeah. Um, San Lorenzo fans came to the Plaza de Mayo to um, push for this. Laura, I don't know if we've mentioned it before on Hand Apart. I think we've mentioned it in passing. Yeah. Yes, basically, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, um, they want to uh, basically introduce or pressure the government to introduce a law where they can uh, force the owners of the site of their old stadium to give up the ground so they can return to Boedo, which is their neighborhood. Their historical neighbourhood, Barrio, yeah. And, and the reason why they're not in Boedo is because the dictatorship yeah. in the 70s, they forced them out, 
they made them sell the ground, they sold it for something like one million peso of the time, mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, the club had to sell it to the government, and then the government uh, sold it for eight times more, yeah. eight times that, that price, and they sold it to these French uh, supermarkets, uh, supermarket, yeah, yeah, Carrefour, and they've been, they have been there ever since then. Mm -hmm. And they had to move, and before that, they had to play their home matches at very several, several different venues, and until they got this new ground in the 90s. And yeah. but now they they want to go back to Boedo. The new ground is not in Boedo; it's in Bajo Flores. It's not. It's not And it's not. It's not very close. Yeah. And I, for one, uh, even even if I, if I was born and, and, and I live all my all my life no, not liking San Lorenzo that much, I really I really feel for for their fans, and I really think this is a proper cause, and, and they should return to Boedo. And I, I, I support this march. I'm not I'm not marching with uh, <laughs> no. one one and a half million people, but uh, I support them in spirit. You know? yeah. I think I think I couldn't agree with that as well. Yeah, I don't have a particularly um, much affection for San Lorenzo but you know you can appreciate you talk to San Lorenzo fans you see these images you see yeah. the march and you can see this is um, it's a subject that means a lot to them exactly and yeah. you know it's part of their kind of patrimony their historical um, lineage mm -hmm. and obviously it's tied in with this injustice under the dictatorship and but whether it will happen or not it's still remains to be seen because I know that um, you had that kind of Carrefour at one point they knocked down the supermarket that kind of reawoken reawoken mm -hmm. a bit of hope because people thought oh, maybe this means that now they can they're kind of leaving it clear in case they do have to leave but I passed it yesterday on the way to Lanús and they're, they're knocking it up it. again they're uh, just making yeah. it bigger and better yeah. so they're yeah Carrefour are not going to give that set up without, without a fight and, and also just for the record I uh, when, when it comes to these kind of things I leave uh, all uh, allegiances aside because I, yeah. if the club is in danger of disappearing or going bankrupt, I forget about the rivalries yeah. and I support them immediately. And I, I really like all the all the clubs in first division and in, in all the other divisions to do well because they're really important for for their own fans and for football in general for society as well. So I really support Independiente and and his well. Don't put no, no, just. I don't support the I support this new president they have because he's trying to fight against the violence and uh, against the Barrabravas, and I really wish that he could succeed and, and clean up the, the mess that they have with the Barrabravas. And I also want River to do well financially and to get rid of the violent fans as well, because that's the only way forward for the whole football Argentina. So that's. That's shit. Yeah. just my two cents. In these kind of things, you have to you have to show solidarity. I think. Yeah. Definitely. On the pitch, no, it's not. Not so much. But <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, we'll take a very quick break now, and then we've got a question about the national team to come back to. Um, so please don't leave us. from Connor uh, 
aka Mr. D, aka Jose Dolores says on Twitter, um, who uh, has certainly gone into some detail with it, and so I thought it would be a shame if all of his hard work went to waste by not asking him. He says, when Messi and Higuain, sorry, in looking at Argentina's last five games, that's against Chile, Venezuela, Bolivia, Colombia and Switzerland, some things jump out at me. Number one, when Messi and Higuain played up front, Argentina scored five goals in 375 minutes, which is a goal every 75 minutes. When Messi and Aguero played up front, they scored one in 80 minutes. When Messi, Higuain and Aguero played together, they scored three goals in 48 minutes, um, or one every 16. Not counting injury time for any of those matches. Should Argentina be starting all three of these guys together? That's the first question. And I think the, the, the first one to give an answer to that was Sabela, who recently said in an interview, my main challenge is to come up with a system in which I can play the three of them together. Mm -hmm. Aguero, Di Maria, and, uh, sorry, uh, Messi and Iwain. But I said Di Maria because I was thinking, because the, he he considers Di Maria to be the fourth untouchable, uh, untouchable or the fourth I don't know uh, rider of the apocalypse. <laughs> 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 so yeah, that would be <laughs> that would be really really difficult to to achieve. But um, we saw that we saw that they play they, they are devastating when they are together and. Argentina scored the last two against Switzerland with the three of them uh, playing really, really late in the game. Mm. So I don't know if, if that's what something you, to go yeah, by. What you can take into consideration as well is that one of the reasons why this, um, yeah, these three have scored so many goals while on the pitch because, is because they've basically played together only when it's been kind of a last ditch. We have to get a result, especially you know we had against Colombia. They played 45 minutes together when Argentina were... 1-0 down after drawing one all with Bolivia, they had to get something out of the game, so it was kind of a throw everything but the kitchen sink at the game. And Same with Switzerland, obviously it was a friendly, but it was late, yeah. it had to try and force a result. So the question is, can that three-man attack, say, plus Di Maria, who you say would probably be in there as well, can you play those four players together and still keep stability at the back, knowing that Argentina's defence is very much less than you know impenetrable this point about um, the points coming late in the game the goals coming late in the game sorry um, is part of the, the second half of Connor's question which is why I'm going to butt in at this point he says one it appears Sabella has his midfield favourites for example Mascherano Sosa Branya um, he also mentioned Di Maria who I would question whether he's really a, a midfielder but we know what he means um, most of his substitutions have involved taking off midfielders with the intent of adding more firepower because Argentina are behind or heading towards a draw with the obvious exception of the Chile game when they were leading 3-0 really early on um, he then gives some details which I won't go into about who was sub for who in exactly which matches aside from the Chile game where Higuain scored a hat-trick every goal has been scored by Messi or an offensive substitution Lovetsi versus Bolivia Aguero versus Colombia clearly this is a very small sample size but are these smart substitutions or is Sabella fielding a starting 11 that's too conservative to begin with um, I'm going if I can to go, on, go for it now. well I, I think we, we've all sort of spoken about this before we think he you know him using these favourite players like Branyan and Sosa is perhaps a little conservative so maybe we should hear what Jonathan exactly it's a tactical genius Jonathan Wilson <laughs> uh, are Sabella's starting 11s too conservative or is, are his substitutions really bloody good yeah more goals scored late in games that's, that's just a fact um, as teams get tired there's, there's, there's a logic in saying okay we'll keep the game tight we'll wear out the opposition 
we'll try and take control of the midfield in the first hour, 70 minutes, and then we know we've got this phenomenal firepower on the bench. I, I, if, if, if I just getting results by doing that, I, I don't see that's a problem. Um, it, it seems to me a logical way of playing. Uh, that said, it all seems to me logical when you have a front three as, as evidently potent as Iguain, Messi and Aguero, you should try to use it. That's clearly where Argentina's strength lies. I think they've also got a lot of good holding midfielders. So I think you've, you, probably the thing to do is to, to go for uh, a broken team. Um, now, whether you play that as a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1, which would allow you to bring in Di Maria, or, or maybe Tevez even, um, yeah, that, that, that's for people who, who know the players better than me to, 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 to decide. But if you play with a back four, Mastriano plus one, I think you can get away with playing four attacking players because uh, essentially you've then got five defensive players in terms of your back forks. Obviously, don't have attacking fullbacks. That's not an issue. Mm. Mastriano then gives you extra protection. Then you have another player alongside him who can shuttle and can link up with the, you know, the, the three in the four-two-three-one. And you have a natural game or something like Messi is to drop deep. Uh, I guess you, you want to get him the ball high up the pitch, but. I don't think it's a problem if he's coming back to link with somebody breaking forward from midfield. I guess Cambiasa can do that perfectly well. He does a similar job for Inter. Yeah. Um, yeah well, this is Serbo to bring in as well. So Serbo, I'll let you uh, take up with your sort of... Oh, yeah, because now I've been paying attention to, to this particular aspect of the tactics. And it's the fact that I, the impression that I, that I have is that the specialists in breaking up play and winning the ball back, you know, the Warriors, the Enforcers... Pac-Man, as they call him. Pac-Man, yeah, the Pac-Mans. Um, seem to be going away or, or not, not not be there uh, as they were in the past. And, and instead, the managers are using players that are uh, better at... at, at, at Holding up the ball and, and passing and distributing from pass, yeah. exactly and, and playmaking from deep. Like for example, the, the the first example that I thought of and I think he's one of the most intelligent players I've seen is Andrea Pirlo, who used to start. Uh, well, he started as a playmaker and trequartista y fantasista. He started playing closer to to the forwards and then. Some, some, at some point in his career he started yes. playing deep and, and organizing the team from there and, and I, I couldn't think of many other players with, uh, with the, his passing ability and, and that's probably, probably the main aspect of his game that stands up and I'm thinking if that's a phenomenon, that is a phenomenon that's going on in, in football in general and uh, how can, can Argentina use uh, their uh, deep playmakers uh, and who could be those those players. I would you agree know? with you there, Seba, that there is a tendency, you say, that maybe in other parts of the world, like Italy, as you mentioned, this has kind of moved on from the fact this uh, number five in the central midfield has, has to be an enforcer, not much else. Mm. I think in that case, as I don't know if you were getting to that, but I think in some aspects, Argentina is still kind of stuck in that very kind of outdated mode. You've got people kind of in all boys, Barrientos, who yeah. It's kind of a, but even in those cases like that, or like yeah. Mastriano is a very good defensive player, but they're yeah. also they do distribute the ball well. Yeah, but um, you never describe them he, as playmakers, exactly, which is what uh, I'm getting on. But, but Mastriano is a bit in the middle. He's not. Yeah. he could yeah. be an enforcer, and I think he started more as an, enfor- an enforcer, and now he added a lot of. Yeah, uh, but I mean, actually, the, the, the technical ability you need to 
to play that role and, and play it as a passer is actually quite limited. I mean, Pirlo is, is clearly, exceptionally clearly, is a brilliant passer. Paul Scholes, we've seen revert to that yeah, role. Yeah. I mean, it seems to be a, a modern way of, of allowing older players to, to still have a useful function. I guess Michael Carrick has always done that. Um, but something like Mastriano, I, I agree with you, he does distribute the ball well, but he never distributes the ball more than 10, 10 yards. All that's happened is the ability he must already have had to play the ball 10 yards has been drawn out of him in Barcelona. I mean, I guess at Liverpool, all he did was win the ball, give it to Xabi Alonso, let Xabi Alonso do the passing. At Barcelona, he's got to take a bit more responsibility. But he's not playing long passes, not playing difficult passes. He's just now, I guess he's got players moving for him, he's seeing the passes better. So I don't see any reason why players shouldn't do that. But I think actually what you're talking about is a more general trend in the game, which yes. is, is followed Barcelona, um, which is that if you... It's following Bielsa, actually, I guess, ultimately. He's, yeah. the, he's the thinker who started this. Um, the, there's two ways of defending, and, and probably the best way of defending is just don't let the opponent have the ball. Mm-hmm. So you press high up the pitch when, when the opponent's in possession, you play with a high offside line, you have your keeper coming way out of his goal to, to sweep up behind the back four or back three. Um, and then when you get the ball, just make sure you keep it. And if you're going to keep the ball, then you, you can't afford to have a clogger in there. It's something um, that... And so, I mean, that's why he plays people like Kevin Martinez at centre-back. It's mm-hmm. Chile he played midfielders in the defence. Yeah. People like Gary yeah. Medell, who obviously yeah. we saw a lot in Boca, but playing always in midfield is probably even more this kind of yeah. number five destroyer. Yeah. 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 Now, my suspicion is that here and certainly in Brazil, mm-hmm. teams still prefer to play deeper. They, they still don't quite trust the passing. It might even... Um, you come down to what we talked about earlier. There's yeah. not really time to develop that that cohesion. You need to press well when you know that your best five or six players are going to be leaving every season. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you, I, mean, I don't think it's coincidence that something like Lucas Leiva, I'd say, is now one of the best holding midfielders in the world because he's Brazilian, because he's sort of grown up in that environment where he does just sit in front of the back four. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, mean, I, th- I think you know it's. That, that two ways of defending you can defend by by defending um, position and trying to hold the ball mm-hmm. or you defend by saying okay we'll sit deep come at us and we'll be stronger than you yeah. in the way that Inter did against Barcelona in the semi-final in the way that Chelsea did in the Mourinho mm-hmm. uh, but I think that's increasingly an increasingly mm-hmm. unusual way of playing yeah and, and now I got uh, I got to uh, start thinking about Argentine football when I was growing up and when I was going to football and even before um because I remember being really impressed by Claudio Marangoni at Independiente uh, in the 80s. For he, he was Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he played for Sunderland. Not to the same level of success <laughs> he enjoyed for Independiente. But um, he was that kind of number five, uh, organizing from midfield. Uh, he could interplay uh, for, for the opposition, but he was also a great distributor of, of, of the ball. He was elegant. He knew how to, what to do with the ball. And... I remember Fernando Redondo uh, mm-hmm. later on. I mean, Redondo, I think, was almost of his own kind. I can't think of any other player who had his his particular collection of attributes. He was amazing. He was amazing. But amazing, but very hard to fit into a team because what he did was so unusual. Yeah. Where, where do you put Busquets in? I think Busquets is an absolutely magnificent player. I think he. I think he's. Very, very good defensively. Not in terms of putting in big tackles, but in terms of just reading the game, being in the right place. He starts off so many of Barcelona's attacks. In fact, the last uh, Clasico, when he dropped deep, because he had been marking uh, Mesut Ozil, and he 
dropped back. I think they started with back three and went to back four and, and brought him yeah. into yeah, into centre back. But the point of that wasn't to give him another centre back. The point of that was to take him 10, 15 yards mm-hmm. away from Ozil and give him time to just to, to set the play in motion. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, you know, that's how significant kind of just having these distributors at the backs become. Yeah, I think it's a shame. So many people, especially in England, think of Busquets as just a theatrical well, I mean, idiot. A, that, that is an annoying side of his game yeah, that he'd be better without. But, 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 but they're missing out on such a great yeah. player. He's, he's just amazing. He's so intelligent. Yeah, and I'm thinking these days, who could be that kind of player for Argentina? Because yeah, I think, in my opinion, it makes the team look better and, and it helps the team in both uh, aspects of the game and, and especially in keeping possession and starting uh, all their moves from yeah, the field. Yeah, my only concern with that would be is it possible to play at that international level? And I suspect it isn't mm. just because you don't have time. Mm. I think international level just keep it simple. The players don't have time to learn anything complicated. So, uh, you know, yeah. I, 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 I think, I mean, the Netherlands, I think the last World Cup were a great example. Just you know, play De Jong and Van Bommel in front of your back four. Say, okay, you're not going to score, and we've got Snyder, we've got Kout, we've got Lobben, we've got Van Persie. That was kind of a broken team, as you said. Yeah, exactly, a broken yeah. team. And I think, unfortunately, it's not pretty to watch, but it's yeah, it's the way you've got to. I think it's just the, the effective just way of playing. Be forced to limit the number of Barcelona players on the team. It's kind of like cheating. <laughs> but I think Spain already you know, don't quite have the. the same. I, mean, I mean, partly that's messy because you know, if Barcelona, the odd time they they're struggling in the game. You still have the best player in the world can just create something out of nothing, um, but but also I mean logically I mean I understand why they do it, but to try and fit Busquets and uh, Xabi Alonso in the same yeah. team, you know, it, it changes the dynamic. And they, they don't they don't have the same quality of attacking fullback that Barcelona do. Um, I mean, yes, don't get me wrong, Spain were utterly deserving world champions, but by a long, long way the best team at that World Cup. And I can't think of another team who was so much better than everybody else at the World Cup. Since maybe West Germany in 1990, although they started towards the end, mm. um, probably you go back to Brazil in the 70s. In 1970. Brazil in 1970, I think you probably yeah. do. Because I'm, not, I'm not saying that every other World Cup has been won by the wrong team, I'm saying to be no, no, that, that level of dominance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. In, uh, so, I guess a uh, not really that related question, but. Similarly phrased could be when, who was the last player who was as much better than everyone else on the planet as Lionel Messi is at the moment. Has there been one? Well done. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he was, he was just my childhood hero for Racing, Uruguayan magician, fantastic player. And for a Uruguayan to be that highly held in regard by an Argentine mm-hmm. set of fans. I was half Uruguayan during his time at Racing. Pass and Francesco, they have to be two of the only ones, right? <laughs> you would think. Maybe, maybe Ronaldo in the mid nineties. Mm. Maybe mm. Mm. In, in a different way. And for, but even though Ronaldo was a fairly period, period at the yeah. time, mm. Mm. Yeah. 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 you had Zidane as well. Maybe Zidane, yeah. No, I, I don't think Zidane was ever as dominant. I, I mean, do you mean as to kind of yeah. challenging Ronaldo? Yeah. 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 yeah, that may be true. Yeah, I mean, Zidane probably hit his peak slightly after. Yeah, I mean. His peak would have been what ninety nine to about two thousand and two, probably. So yeah. last year, I think was that the ninety six seven season of Ronaldo. Is it? Do I mean that? Do I mean ninety seven eight? Um, I think ninety seven eight was when Inter yeah. just missed out on the. So ninety six seven was his last season in Barcelona. Yeah. So that, that was the, the yeah, season where it was just kind of jaw dropping how good he was. Yeah, and I think before Messi, I think the the, the the example, the closest player in history that we had was Diego. I think in, mm-hmm. in that 
uh, to put it in those terms as the most dominant of player. that era. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And before him, for a brief moment, it was Zico, and before him, it was Pelé, maybe or Platini, maybe. I don't know. But I, I don't think there has ever been a case like Messi. Well, yeah, there's a different dynamic now, just the way that the game's televised. Yeah. We all, you know, we all see it. We all know. Yeah. And I, th- I think I'm always slightly suspicious of players from 20 or 30 years ago who you'd see at a World Cup. You might see them mm-hmm. two or three times during mm-hmm. the year, and you sort of judge them by mm-hmm. by reputation. I know, yeah, that's fair enough. It's the only way you can judge him. But we watch Messi every week, and he never stops. It's, it's yeah. an, his consistency is extraordinary, and that alone, I, I think, will take him beyond Maradona's achievements. Mm-hmm. Because Maradona at club level had well two great seasons, or two championship winning seasons at Napoli. Did he have any other truly great seasons at club level apart from that? Well, early on in Argentina, in Argentina for four or five years as a teenager and playing for Argentinos, and and then with Boca he won the league. He was dominant in Argentina, and then. He struggled. And he was playing at Barcelona with, with the hepatitis and then and the, the, the broken, broken leg. Yeah. And, and then the cocaine. cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he started in Barcelona. It all started in Barcelona. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's that the, the point with Maradona that most people do. And I think it's interesting. And, and now he's switched to Maradona versus Messi. And, and it's, no, it's not what I want to do. It's not what I want to do. I, I swear I love both of them. And I couldn't say who's better or not, or who's worse. But the the, the argument that Maradona fans uh, keep as a flag is that is the way that how he took Napoli, who mm. was a struggling team and not very favorites to win anything before he he arrived, how he made them compete with the big uh, powers of the north of Italy, and how he won the UEFA Cup with them, and how he won the World Cup. <coughs> single-handedly maybe and with an emphasis in the word hand <laughs> but I think it's a lot of myth around that because Napoli was, they were a great team when Diego was there Correct. I mean, without him, without him they, wouldn't, they wouldn't have won the things they won that's obvious and, and I think it's the same with Barcelona you say oh it's the greatest team of all time yeah but take Messi from Barcelona, and they wouldn't have been as dominant, I think. No. And, and even with the 86 stuff with Maradona, the, the 86 Argentina team was nowhere near as crap as they painted to be. You know, okay, yeah, yeah. they probably wouldn't have won the World Cup without him, but it's not. The way everybody talks about them is, is that they were useless and they wouldn't, yeah. have, you know, they wouldn't have qualified without Diego, or so, which is complete crap. It is, it is. Yeah. And I think that's another interesting thing. I think Diego in 86 had something that Messi never had for the national team. And that is a proper manager. He never Messi last and time. Public support. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but not 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 until not until the World Cup. They were really criticized, yeah. and Bilardo suffered a lot of criticism. Even when when he took the plane to Mexico, he wasn't really he wasn't well liked here. And and Diego had, hasn't done anything before the '86 World Cup. But Bilardo had a plan, and Bilardo knew how to execute it, and knew how to get the best out of um, out of Maradona. And even if it took leaving the best, the, the, all the other best players from Argentina out, because Filiol was the best keeper ar- around that time, he wasn't anywhere near the, the, the national team. Ramon Diaz was the best striker there, same same situation. 
and there's this controversy around all, mozzarella. All rubber players, funnily. Uh, probably, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, mozzarella as well. There's the food poisoning he had, and, and all of those things that were never proven, but we all know they're, they're not friends. And I think what Bilardo did was to just give the keys to this uh, team, to Maradona, and he went all in with Diego and he right now he's calling off. up Bocini even though they only played for what 15 minutes or something yeah, at the end of last, the game, yeah last three four minutes against Belgium in yeah. the semi-finals yeah. But, but yeah Messi was 18 and last time we had a proper manager in Beckerman he made a crucial couple of crucial mistakes including leaving Messi in the bench in the quarterfinals against Germany and using Julio Cruz instead <laughs> and I'm still I'm still mad to see <laughs> Uh, but then after that, it was Basile, who was already past it, I think. Then Diego, and then Batista. Two men, two men I don't think we, we can call managers. And now Sabella, I think he has the opportunity, and I think he has the, the know-how and, and the brains to actually do this. And if it takes leaving Tevez out of the, out of the, uh, out of the national team, even if, he's, even if he goes back to play at, at a high level... So be it. And he, Sabella will form or try to form a nucleus around mm. Messi. And that's, I think that's the recipe, just to keep yeah. him happy. And Messi is, is not as trouble, troublemaker as Diego was. He's, he's, mm. he's just easygoing and mm. he's, he's down to earth. And that, that, that paradoxically, I think, is, is why a lot of people will always feel so Maradona is, is greater than him. You know, it depends what you want from your, your sports star. If you want him to just be consistent and be. You're great for a protracted period. Well, that doesn't really win you. It wins you admirers. It doesn't win you fans. Yeah. You look at I know Pete Sampras in tennis or Steve Davis in snooker. Just relentless winning, relentlessly being brilliant, and, and in the end, the relentlessness of it almost undermines it. Always makes it seem less brilliant than it is. Mm-hmm. And actually, what, you know, what people like is a kind of triumphing over. Disaster, yeah. triumphing over hardship, and Maradona, you know, had great hardship in terms of the broken leg, the hepatitis, the cocaine, the, yeah. all the problems at Napoli. In the same, and you know, by the same token, Alex Higgins will always be a more popular sneaker player than Steve Davis was, because he, he always gave a sense of battling with himself as well as battling yeah. with the opponent. Yes. And, and that also just reminds me of something I was thinking a week or two ago after Messi's uh, five goal one week ago, then after Messi's five goal match in the Champions League of just. The fact that at least two, arguably four of the goals that he scored in that match were possibly better than anything that most strikers with his kind of goal to goal per game ratio will ever score in their career. Just one off. Um, he doesn't just score goals in every match, isn't it? It's not like he's Gerd Muller tapping in from whatever, being in the right place at the right time. He scores ridiculous goals that for any other player would be career defining uh, you know on a monthly basis yeah um, it's like it's 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 like it's 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 but even then, he's still, still leading the league. Well, second or, or possibly top assist maker. Yeah, it might. But I mean, it's got to the point now. You, you hear hear that Messi scored a brilliant goal. You don't bother to go on YouTube and get another look at us now. I do. I still do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but what you were saying about the personality and, yeah. and stuff, I remember that the, the, the moment in which Messi here in Argentina got the biggest ovation was against Spain. In a situation, he scored the first the first goal. We mm. we beat them four one. But the moment 
Well, I think it was. Maybe I'm confused. I think it, it probably was during the Copa America. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. When when he got in an argument with someone, someone, I think someone it was against who kicked him, yeah, someone who kicked him really hard, and he yeah, reacted. Yeah. And then the applause. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And and that's something that made made him a bit more human and yeah. helped him relate more with the fan, with the terrace, and 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 that is something Messi will not give us every week. Mm -hmm. He will give us goals, he will give us assists, he will give us... Well, the extraordinary thing about his brilliance is it's actually a very functional brilliance in that you know, whatever the tariff of what he's trying to do is, he just gives you point one better than that. He's very good at selecting mm -hmm. the easiest possible thing to do what he wants to do. Even again, the five goals against Leverkusen, he was playing at he, he, visibly 60% of his case. He didn't look yeah. like he was trying at any point. <laughs> but that, that, that ability to, to gauge a situation and do exactly the right level of difficulty of trick mm -hmm. or... Yeah. You know, it's, it's something that Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't have, for instance. <laughs> that, that sort of judgement, the lack of flashiness for mm -hmm. having every technique in the world mm -hmm. but only using the one you need to use. Not being an enormous yeah. wanker. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a cockroach crawling across the floor. I mean, there's not, this is a metaphor. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he, he will calmly stamp on it rather than taking the AK 47 and blowing your parquet floor into pieces. Mm. <laughs> Although, if you see the size of some of the cockroaches in Dan's <laughs> an AK 47, <laughs> we yeah, did see a very large one a few months ago. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take a, a, an enforced music break now and play Mystic Dan's theme music while he gets his uh, robes on and gets ready to tell us this week. What is not going to happen in, in the first division? He'll explain this when it comes to it. He's got a revolutionary new way of predicting results. Okay, Mystic Dan. Uh, how are you predicting things this week? Hello, good evening, everyone. Um, I well, I, I don't know exactly what I got last week because I didn't. Well, Sam doesn't bother to write it up on the website anymore. But I'll, I'll uh, try and get back. I think it would have probably been one or two out of ten because all these kind of results we were talking about, you know, <laughs> Independiente beating Boca, which just would have seemed impossible the week before. So I'm just going to pick the opposite to what I think this week <laughs> in my predictions and see how I go. <laughs> if it's a draw, if I think it's going to be a draw, I'll pick a draw. Otherwise, I'm going to pick the, the, the opposite team to win that I think. So. I'm going for Argentinos to beat Lanús. No. Godoy <laughs> Cruz to beat All Boys. Uh, yes. Tigre and Estudiantes to draw. You're going to comment on No, no, no. I bored myself. Union to beat Vélez. Uh, Independiente to beat Belgrano. Olimpo to beat Racing. San Lorenzo and Colón to draw. San Martín de San Juan to beat Boca. <laughs> <laughs> Rafaela to beat Mules away. And Banfield to beat Arsenal away. Everyone agree with this? I'm no. guessing since we're going up six, any goals San Martin score are going to count for it. <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure that's how it works. I'm not yeah. sure that uh, really thought Maybe your mental process was one, but the result is, is this one, and you picked Olimpo to be Racing, so I'm glad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Based on your record. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine, fair enough. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we should also probably apologise to Tigre fans again. One of them uh, has been didn't say it during this week but has commented several times in the past that whenever we praise Tigre they end up dropping off in form for a couple of weeks and of course last week we were mentioning it was possible that they'd draw level with San Lorenzo Tigre got the result they needed but both San Lorenzo and Union uh, also got wins which meant that Tigre asked in the relegation zone so we apologise if you're a Tigre fan we'll, we'll not give you the kiss of death this week um, 
Before we go as well, we should, uh, first of all, I'm going to plug a, a special edition of Hand of Pod that's going to be up at some point over the weekend, probably on Sunday. Um, I, just before coming here, was interviewing the good people, Mike and Natalie from uh, fanchance.com, um, when you'll be able to hear... Uh, exactly, yeah, yeah, you'll be able to hear them <laughs> talking about their, their time travelling around South America, uh, Argentina particularly, and indeed the rest of the world over the last couple of years. Um, on Sunday, really interesting um, story. Hopefully, I managed to do it justice with my my interview with them. Um, so look out for that. And also, since uh, the great Mr. Wilson is here, we should remind you again that if you consider yourself a Hand of Pod fan and you haven't yet downloaded the or indeed bought in print the latest copy of the Blizzard, both myself and English Dan are in it. So um, please don't tell us that you love our work if if you're not going to give us some money by buying that. We've given um, you hours of free entertainment on Hand of Pod. Yeah. <laughs> Give us a little bit of money it's, back in our pocket. It's the very least advice. that you could possibly give us, really. Uh, www.theblizzard.co.uk Is there anything else that you'd like to say to plug the new edition? Or? Um, there's an extensive interview with Alex Ferguson. Um, there's your excellent interview with Pastore. There's English Dan talking about Rassing's infamous game against Celtic. Controversial article in itself, I've heard. Uh, apparently so. Um, <laughs> and it is, of course, pay what you want. So if you're, if you're impoverished, you can, you can pay us a penny. Um, and we won't mind if you're if you're wealthy and you pay a penny we will mind but you can still technically do that um, but but yeah it's uh, www.theblizzard.co.uk and there will be a link up to that obviously on the Hand of Pod blog um, probably also on the SoundCloud page just to make sure that nobody can have any possible excuses for for not giving us your cash and in particular giving Mr Wilson your cash um, I think I don't make any more money out than you do <laughs> Very maybe, maybe a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just the t-shirt sales, I, I try to be as briefly as possible. Um, this uh, um, past weekend, we had another episode of violence that of I course, just, yeah, we should mention. Yeah, this yeah. the, 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 uh, second division uh, match between Chacarita and Atlanta. Two rivals that really hate I think each other. We probably mentioned Atlanta before because uh, the team of my neighbourhood yeah. and I, I go every now and then. Yeah. So basically, there was an ambush uh, where Atlanta directors were trapped in a tribune in a terrace, and, and the Barra Brava of Chacarita attacked them. One of them ended up in hospital. Then they set fire to a couple of police uh, patrols. <clears throat> so yeah, it never ends. And then during the week. Um, there was another small uh, small screen coming from the AFA and this new project of a new tournament that yeah. ended up being postponed and they are studying and analysing And they've got a couple of alternative ideas as well because the club directors didn't like the one that was presented yesterday. Exactly. So yeah, just to mention that, that, that was what happened that yeah. night. And we, sh- we should also say that whilst we were recording, uh, Boca have beaten Arsenal uh, 2-1, so the, the wheels are very much back on the train now. In the Copa Libertadores. Um, in the Copa Libertadores, yeah, they're in the same group, although they are both Argentine clubs. So uh, they're very much back on track now, and no doubt it will be another what, February next year before yeah. they lose another game. <laughs> Juggernaut. Fingers, fingers well, crossed that that's, that's not what's going to happen. And Mochi scored, and Jonathan Wilson was in Argentina. <laughs> Mochi scored. So. I feel <laughs> slightly dirty. I feel slightly clean. <laughs> We're preparing a T-shirt for you. Um, for now, ladies and gents, we'll say thank you very much for listening. As ever, um, you can find us on iTunes and, and on the Hand of Pod blog. Um, you can you can follow us all on on Twitter on the usual links that I stick up on the blog. Uh, John, of course, is John Wells on Twitter, and, and the rest of us haven't changed our usernames as far as I'm aware, so I'll, 
I'll stick some links up for those uh, on the blog. Um, thank you for listening, and it's goodbye from special guest Jonathan Wilson. Goodbye. And goodbye from English Dan. Goodbye. Goodbye from Australian Dan. Bye bye. Uh, and goodbye from Seba, who I guess will possibly see you next week or maybe not for <laughs> six months. I'll be yet. back after the next four episodes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's, that's the next rusty win. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, so, so you're promising us you're promising us you're gonna stay away. Uh, no, yeah. no, I couldn't live without you. So <laughs> I'll be back, I'll be uh, back. Have a wonderful uh, week everybody. Goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.